Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Dew. And I'm really excited to bring this amazing woman to the podcast. She was referred by one of the other ladies, and she has a really, really special story. So this is Haley Smith. And she's sitting in Vancouver or BC. Victoria. Victoria. Oh, even better. Um, and here's her short bio. So she's, uh, she's a professional mountain bike rider for Narco Factory team and the Canadian national team. As uh, she went to Commonwealth Games, bronze medalist. Congratulations. Another podium for Canada and have launched currently... She is training for the Olympics for Tokyo. Now, quick question. Do you think it's going to happen? Yes. Okay. Very okay. confident it's going to happen. <laughs> That's good. We need to give everybody like moving forward on our Olympics. I don't know if we can keep pushing them back. But she has a really special story. So she's going to talk about how she developed anorexia as a young teenager and she's going to talk about how she got into cycling after, how it changed her life, keeping track of the anorexia. Because as you know, once it's, once it's happened, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. So she's going to tell us all about her story. She's very passionate about mental health and helping, I imagine, other girls through this as well. Um, and, you know, if you find that in that realm, like right now as a listener... I encourage you to reach out to me, reach out to Haley, and there's always um, resources that we can we can refer you to. Uh, she aims to improve through talking and social literacy on these issues to increase the toolkit for young athletes. So I'm super excited to bring her here um, to talk about this issue. It's something that is in our sports all sports it's not widely talked about um and it can really hinder um you know athlete development and life moving forward so thank you very much Haley, for for being here we really appreciate you and i can't wait to hear your story yeah thanks for asking me to be on i feel this is uh, quite a relevant topic personally but also just in cycling as a whole so it is you're right it's something that we need to talk more about and uh just increase awareness of because it's something that kind of um i mean it derails a lot of careers it derails a lot of lives lives and uh, we have the opportunity to kind of change that by talking about it so yeah thank you for having me thank you let's dive into it tell us how it all started well because it was pre-cycling let's talk about how you found yourself 
diagnosed with anorexia? Yeah, so I'll give you the very abridged version. Obviously, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of factors that create the circumstance for an eating disorder to develop, um, and you can't really tease them all out. So I will right. do my best to be as concise as possible while giving you all the relevant details. Um, yeah, so I was I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was in grade nine. So I was 13, turning 14. And it developed over, it developed and progressed and worsened over the course of that grade nine year. Um, I think I probably have to back up a little bit and just tell you sort of the characteristics I had as a child so yeah. you can understand why it developed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, I was always very anxious. I was a, a perfectionist. I was really um, like motivated by trying to be the best. I was really afraid of authority I was just really like a nervous, anxious energy child. And um, I had very, very high expectations of myself. And I didn't really understand where all of this like anxious energy and need for control and need to like do something air quote worthwhile came from. But with, you know, 15 years of hindsight, I can now realize that it was, it was a, I was having an existential crisis that I'd been, that I'd been having since I was pretty much eight years old. Um, I can remember being as young as, as young as eight and, and the first time that I sobbed myself to sleep because I'd realized that people die and that was something that I never got over. Um, I just had that every, every kid eventually has that realization. They go through the, the, you know, the realization and then the understanding of mortality. It's something that we all as humans have to go through. Did somebody die in your life at that time that um yes not someone close to me or super close to me but I was confronted with the concept and like I said a a lot of kids um a lot of kids like they just don't um I really internalized it and I didn't get over it I didn't have the maturity or the skills required to understand that information and it it kind of progressively became a bigger and bigger fear in my life Oh, and by the time I entered grade nine, I was super, I was so anxious about this that I was hardly sleeping like any night. And I was starting to exhibit all these um, different behaviors throughout the day that were sort of, oh, I'm so sorry, my alarm's going. Um, <laughs> I started to exhibit all these behaviors throughout uh, my daily life that were like an attempt to control this anxiety I felt about um, I felt about mortality and like the meaning of life and things that the kid just really, you know, shouldn't be worrying about, but I was obsessively worrying about. And anyways, in order to the the perfectionism and the aggressive anxiety and the concern with being um, the best at everything, those were all sort of attempts to feel like I had control over my life and feel like my life had meaning. And then of course, when you go, when you enter grade nine, that's quite a big life transition for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, in Ontario at least, it's a change to high school, a right. much bigger school. You're no longer, you know, the fastest kid in gym class because there's 400 extra kids in gym class. And my identity really was challenged when I entered grade nine. And up to that point, so much of my identity had been focused on. Um, academic performance and sport performance and now all of a sudden I was facing more um, competition and more not not threats to my identity but 
um, it, it wasn't something that I could, her, being the best wasn't something that I could still define myself by. Right. Anyways, my anxiety kind of spiraled and it became social. And then it became about um, like the physical aspects of, again, air quotes, perfection. Mm -hmm. So I started to aggressively exercise in an attempt to improve my sport performance in hockey and in other school sports. And I started to really restrict food. And at first it wasn't really like born of an, of an eating disorder. It was born of this desire to, to improve physically Ooh. underlain by all the, the anxious um, motivation. Anyways, for that entire year of grade nine, it just progressively got worse and worse to the point where um, I, I stopped eating essentially. And by the end of grade nine, I had, um, I don't like to use numbers too much because I, I think that, that that can be triggering for a lot of people, but I had, mm -hmm. um, I was never a very large person and I had lost almost 30 pounds. I was extremely, extremely underweight. Um, I was, people are very reluctant to diagnose eating disorders because it's something mm -hmm. that you can't necessarily see. Like you can't see what's going on in someone's brain. So for yeah. a long time, my, I was going through endless medical tests thinking, okay, well, maybe it's lupus. Maybe it's some sort of other autoimmune disease. Like there's got to be a physical reason why this girl is yeah. so outwardly ill. And it took a long time for, um, for my parents to be able to convince the medical system that no, there, like, there is something wrong. This is a mental health issue. We have to get this sorted. And luckily, luckily enough, my pediatrician was on the same page. Um, but in the, at the time in Ontario, in order to um, secure a hospital bed, to have someone hospitalized, there had to be a, an immediate physical um, risk factor because there mm -hmm. weren't enough beds. So I remember I was in grade nine and uh, it was summer. It was June just before exams. And I got a call to go down to the principal's office and they said you your mom's coming right now and she's picking you up you have to go to the emergency department at the hospital there's been some sort of development and it was that my EKG data came back and my resting heart rate was 30 beats per minute which maybe doesn't sound crazy to a lot of cyclists but as a 13 year old girl who's not an endurance athlete yet that was extremely worrying anyways I was admitted to the hospital um, I wasn't a cyclist yet I was extremely mentally unwell and I spent but a few months there. Um, did you find that as a, all that time your performance was going down? Oh, yes. Sorry. I, that was a very long monologue. I apologize. No, no, but no, but it's perfect. But you, because you were training so hard for performance improvement, I would imagine not eating would significantly oh my gosh. affect that. Yes. <laughs> it was terrible. I, I started out the year um, as a starting starting lineup on our varsity hockey team so I was the youngest kid on starting lineup and I was so excited about it and by the end of the year I wasn't even playing um I had no energy like the the coach had benched yeah. me because he could see that I had no energy I I vividly remember being at one high school soccer game and someone passed me the ball and it was a little cold outside and and people who are extremely underweight struggle more in the cold uh -huh. and I remember yeah. watching the ball come to me trying to make my foot move to get the ball 
and not able to make my foot move. And I just watched the ball roll at like a kilometer an hour out of bounds. So for sport performance was not happening. I was, I had no energy for that. It was like basic life functions only even, even those were shutting down. Um, yeah. Extreme, extreme exhaustion. Yeah. I can imagine. Wow. So you ended up in, in the hospital? Yeah. So I was hospitalized for, um, two months and I mean, I, I don't know how much detail everyone is aware of with eating disorders, but things like all your meals have to be supervised by nurses so that they know you're eating right. everything. Um, <laughs> small little things like I was locked out of my bathroom because they were afraid of um, Vomiting. other eating disorder yeah. behaviors, like purging and such, yeah. um, which actually looking back now, I had a hilarious moment where because I was locked out of the bathroom, the nurses were so busy so that my lunch was delayed. So my lunch had been sitting out for a while and the lunch that day was potato salad. So my potato salad with all this mayonnaise had been sitting out all day. They finally <laughs> fed me and I had food poisoning because oh, of the no. and I was locked out of the bathroom. So oh, God. added to injury there where that was a disaster. That yeah, I where's, the, where's the nearest <laughs> sink? Oh my God. Oh, I didn't even have a sink. It was bad news bears, but um, little things like that I can look back on and laugh at now. But anyways, yes, I was hospitalized, um, had to see a dietitian, psychiatrist, family psychiatrist, psychologist, the whole works. Oh. Um, and then when I was released from the hospital, I, that's when I found my bike. And my dad, uh, my dad and my brother had been mountain biking for a bit and they were doing things like the 24 hour events in, on, yeah. in Ontario the relay mm -hmm. races. Yeah. And when I was released, I bought my first bike. My parents paid for half and I paid for half and I started mountain biking. And that's kind of where I found my, my purpose and my niche. And it allowed me to finally, um, learn to manage these like underlying anxiety issues I had. And instead of, um, you know, severely restricting food or, or other restrictive habits, like, you know, my obsession with sleep and minimizing social situations. Anyways, this cycling gave me a positive outlet to, um, to work through my anxieties instead of having these. So how is it different from the other sports that you were in? Cause you said you had like soccer and hockey I think how, did, first, how did cycling be, how is it different just because you're not within a team environment? Well, no, because I still really enjoyed to ride with other people and be right. in, be in those, like the social elements of a team. But I think there's a few things. Um, one, you're in nature, especially mm -hmm. with mountain biking. So that was huge because it, um, I mean, there's a lot of research that shows how grounding being in the woods is. And I don't know if I could explain it in a concise way, but there is something about being in nature and that was at the top of the list. Right. Um, cycling is also a very meditative activity. Mm. It's like it's been called meditation in motion and it, it's true. You, it's a, it allows for you to become present and to kind of, we all have experienced this where you, you ride and eventually your brain shuts off. And it's just like, I like that meditation in motion. Yeah. I've never so heard that. that. That was a big piece of it is that it, I just learned to, to be and to be with my bike and to, the noise in my head would quiet for a little bit. Right. That's, that was different than other sports. It turned the, the analytical side off. 
Mm-hmm. And then I guess the other piece is that I didn't compete right away and I had never done a sport without competing in my life. Everything I've ever done was competing. Um, I, <laughs> I must have been nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I love organized sports, but I had never just done a sport just other to than do recess it. for fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was a big piece. And I eventually obviously did start racing because that's what I do now. But yeah. at first it was just me trying to figure out the trail trying to improve, come home with a few less bruises. And yeah, it was very uh, therapeutic that way. So how old were you when you got on the bike? And dare I ask, how old are you now? And how, like how long, or I guess maybe how many years have you been in mountain biking? So that was in 2008. Yes, 2008. Um, it's now 2021. And Oh my gosh, you're so young. So I was, I think I was 14 or 15 when I was, when I started to, to ride. Um, and it became an earnest quite quickly. Like I, I really latched onto it. Uh Um, but now I'm 27. So I've been, I thought thought you're 21 now. I'm like, Oh, Oh, no, sorry. No, (laughs) I'm (laughs) like, geez, you can do a lot. (laughs) It's been 12 years maybe. And, um, it got, I just got progressively more into cycling and it became Mm -hmm. more and more of my life. And now it's, what I do. So, okay. So you started in Ontario. Yes. Yeah. I only, um, I like in Toronto, like, uh, close in to North of Hills. Toronto on in, uh, no. So North of Toronto, but not on the other side of Lake Simcoe. So in a town called Uxbridge, um, okay. at Durham forest who people from, I've heard Toronto of Durham forest quite often ride there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where I grew up and that has been my home base for my whole life. My parents have lived just in the one house um, since we were born. Um, and I, I mean, we've been coming out to Victoria every winter for seven years to train. And this year, because of COVID, we decided that we would make it more stable. So we actually mm-hmm. live here now. We, we moved. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, that must be nice. Missing the it snow. Is, yes. <laughs> Missing the snow, we suffer for it a lot of days with, you know, like bordering, pouring rain, but (laughs) so far in January, it's been gorgeous. Yeah, we just got a big dumping of snow and we're like super, I don't know if you're downhill skier as well, but no. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, well, I sit on my trainers. Yeah, I got all my, well, that's my tandem bike. Well, I'm I'm training to be a pilot for one race. Yeah. And anyway, so there's my bike. My bike's over there. I got trainers over here. And I, anyway, so this is my little little mecca inside where, you know, we get outside and do all sorts of stuff. But mm-hmm. so how do you find like now moving forward in when you started getting competitive, like you finished, you finished school and then you started onto the, uh, the national team. How did you progress onto the national team and how, did you manage, um, you know, the fact that you had gone through anorexia and now mm-hmm. being an, like an elite athlete, like you really do have to manage your, your fuel intake. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I'm being really honest, I think probably my history held me back for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just shake the restrictive habits and the restrictive thought patterns. Um, 
they're, they kind of, they're kind of there and they're always waiting for you to be at your weakest so they can come out again. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I'll start with just my progression through cycling. So sure. with the OCA, um, there's with the support of the OCA and then um, kind of the very logical progression of events, it's, there's, there's a pathway to the national team. So you right. go yeah. to an O cup and you do well. And then the provincial team takes you to a Canada cup and you do well. And then you go to nationals and if you do well, then you're invited to um, world cups and, and world championships. And that's what happened. My, my second year as a junior, I, um, I decided that I wanted to go to national championships for the first time and I placed second. So I was invited to, world champs that year which was the year that Catherine Pendrell actually won her first world title so seeing that event was kind of like the fire stoker for me Uh um but anyway so that's kind of it was a very natural progression like I just went from slightly bigger event every time um until I was at the world level and um yeah I mean at first I was still so so um not restrictive but like aware of my food intake that I think it probably it it impaired my quality of life for sure but because I was under observation by such a large medical team it didn't derail me physically so for the for those first few years of cycling I was having to go for like blinded weigh-ins with my doctor and Mm -hmm. if the weight dropped and they were like well sorry cycling's gone but it never got to that point because Wow. I knew that that was the threat, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. the threat hovering over me. Um, anyway, so I was under observation. So I had to stay um, like up on my fueling. And then as I went to university, I found myself sort of relaxing into a um, maybe a bit of a different person. Like I was relaxing into being in social situations and in enjoying things a little bit more. So I, mm-hmm. I became naturally a little less restrictive in all areas of my life. Um, but there have been periods throughout my cycling career where I've been, um, for example, really tired or really stressed about an upcoming race. And I find myself falling into those like maladaptive, but comfortable ways of managing my anxiety and mm-hmm. restricting my intake or you know doing too much training because it's just what my habitual response to stress right. is yeah um yeah so there have been periods of time where it's it's set me back um for sure but i think also because i had to confront this before cycling i've been very aware that this is a risk factor right and of course so yeah so other athletes that um mm-hmm maybe develop an eating disorder through an endurance sport. I've always been aware that it's there. So I'm more, um, maybe more aware of like how it can happen and how to avoid it and how to control it. Yeah. 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 That's what I think it's, um, like I was mentioning, um, I'm going to have someone on here who's a guy and he, he developed it while he was, during and it's quite an interesting little little story that we kind of got off topic on like onto while we're talking about his coaching and it was you know the fact to be lighter and faster and and you know that whole stigma about you know like your power to weight ratio and all that um so 
I found that really interesting. And, you know, yours is a different story because you started at the front, you got all the help you needed to now move forward as an elite pro athlete and, and I guess all the tools to, um, to, um, you know, manage it. And I just think back of at, I had a bit of a, a story, not as long as yours, but, and I was just thinking, cause I went through a little bout of, I purged, mm-hmm. but, and I'm thinking, I'm like, why did I even start that? Cause I was in cross country running and I did all the sports. I did track. I did cross country. I did field hockey, volleyball. Like I was in everything. And there was just this one little period of time where I needed to, I don't know, I don't know what triggered it, but I would eat supper, I would purge, and then I'd go for a long trail run. And I did that a lot. And then I, and then I stopped and it was just a really weird, I can't even pinpoint like what triggered it, but talking to you, I'm just like, yeah, um, maybe do all girls go through this? Something, were you alone or did you? I didn't, I mean, this is something, the reason I started talking publicly about this, this is, I, I speak to a lot of school groups about this. Yeah. But the reason I started talking about it is because no one talked about it. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I didn't know, of course there were other kids experiencing eating disorders when I was in high school. There's no way, statistically speaking, mm-hmm. guaranteed, I would have known people going through it. But yeah. I didn't know anyone going through it because nobody talked about it. So I had no idea how to navigate it. I had no... Yeah. Um, I had no close role models to like help me navigate it. Um, and I, that needs to change. Um, it just needs to change. It's great that you're an advocate for it and that you're open to going to schools because I think it's so important. It's probably even more prevalent now, um, with social media than anything, you know, back in the day, like, you know, I think yours early, 2000s right yeah, when you're I'm when so it all glad started. that I didn't have social media <laughs> yeah really I, I really really feel bad for the kids that are growing up with it yeah impossible to navigate um we need to figure out better better ways to teach kids how to use social media and anyways that's in a whole sidebar yeah that's but, seriously um, <laughs> that's a whole nother another topic yeah. but so now you're training you're in Victoria and how does it feel to be, you know, moving forward to Tokyo? Yeah. I mean, I'm so excited. I, and to be honest, it's been probably 18 months since I've been able to say that I'm excited. Um, (laughs) I, yeah, I had like, how did you feel when they canceled it last year? Pretty numb. I was already in a place where I was like pretty, I was in a real rut mentally Oh, um, so they canceled it and I just didn't really have a response to it. And I was like, I, I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know what to do. Um, so of course being me, I turned to my maladaptive coping mechanism <laughs> and I started to train really hard and to restrict my food intake. Um, so anyways, long story short, the pandemic and the cancellation of the brief cancellation of Tokyo last year and the postponement, um, that I relapsed last year. Um, right. So that really impaired my 
my mental state and my emotional state and my physical performance for kind of like the last 12 months. And it's only Mm -hmm. really been in the last, I mean, in October, I, my support team and my family and friends kind of basically said, well, Haley, there's something wrong. There's, this is not good. There's something happening. And yeah, there was kind of an intervention and it's only really been in the last like eight weeks that I've seen um, my energy return and wow. my training numbers are now back on, you know, mm-hmm. to improving instead of just like being medium right. and not going yeah. anywhere. So anyways, I didn't handle that very well, I suppose. <laughs> Cause it, you know, like <laughs> I'm sure that you're one of many athletes, you know, that are all excited then, you know, then the next day it's like, Oh my God, like I w- I'm just so ready to peak for this performance. Mm-hmm. And now what am I going to do for another year? Like, how do I, how do I navigate this switch up in, you know, event dates? Like that's huge for athletes. You know what I mean? Cause oh, yeah. putting together and programs is just like, okay, uh, now what do we do? Um. And I think a lot of athletes too were confronted with the question of like, why am I doing this? Like, why, who mm. am I? And why do I do this? Right. And, that was something I kind of struggled with too. I was Mm -hmm. like, I lost seeing, and I'm sure many people in many areas have been confronted with that through the pandemic. And I really struggled with that. And I kind of just lost all my zest and lost all my fire. And that's one thing that people don't, um, people talk about now, maybe the physical side effects of eating disorders and, and Mm -hmm. reds, but there's, there's a lot like more insidious stuff. Like, apathy is really common with low energy um just like really depressed um basic effect levels so kind of like a lowering of your baseline emotional state um and for me that was very true like i was just kind of like about everything and it makes it makes life kind of suck it makes your training Mm -hmm. suck it's just it's really um those are the side effects that I, I find most harmful because we don't really necessarily pay attention to them. Um, We don't give them the same, it's again, it's not something you can see. Like you can't Mm -hmm. see when it's a weight number or anything like that. You can look at it and say, yeah, that's probably an indicator or, you know, the absence of your cycle. You can be like, yeah, that's probably an indicator. Oh yeah. But if it's like, maybe she's just a little sad. Like that's really hard to, to say, no, there's something happening there. She's right. under fuel. Yeah. And for me, she's that's been like sad a, for like six months. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a little excessive now. Yeah. And that's a big yeah. indicator for me. Like I, if my emotion goes hands down, there's, um, that's, I know that something's off there. So how, so what kind of things have you put in place to keep yourself like your emotions and your feelings and uh, your positivity, like always moving forward. What have you put into place? Like knowing what you know now from your past, what things do you do now to, to keep yourself like meditating, journaling? Do you, have you yeah, incorporated there's, there's lots all of that fun stuff? Yeah. There's lots of different like actual, um, actions I take. So I meet with a sports psychologist and I have an ongoing relationship with her. Um, I do (laughs) do either meditation or um, like a mindfulness activity daily. So that has helped kind of retrain my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, 
a real focus on this is sounds trite almost because it's so it's become cliche but a real focus on process and little improvements that are only in relation to myself not in relation to other well, people yeah. or competition um, yeah. so that's a big one yeah. um but honestly i my coach has always i first i have to say this that i'm extremely lucky to have a coach that is has never ever ever told me to lose weight or to focus on that half of the equation he's always like well do you think you're at the most watts you're ever going to be able to push <laughs> no okay well then let's work on the watts half of the equation so he's very he's very uh, supportive and positive that way anyways um yeah so having oh I've, I've lost my train of thought well your positive um your daily actions yeah so like daily actions like the like the meditating and the mindfulness practice um i truly have lost my train of thought um <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. I'm, I'm just, That's okay. It happens to me. As you get but... older, it happens. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> so um, here, I'm going to ask you a question then while you're trying to get back there. I noticed you're married. Yes. Yeah. How does your I, husband I, play, play in here? Because I'm sure he knows a little bit of the history. And does, yeah. does he get cues from you? Like when, okay, like if I'm feeling, if you know something, then this is your cue to kind of step in and Mm -hmm. and remove me from the situation or go do something different or how yeah, does he so he's he's, a, he's also a professional cyclist for the same team as me so we spend okay <laughs> all day every day together we train together so he's very in tune with um all of this and he knows my complete history um so he's he's really key he keeps my focus not on my my body or on my food like the the answer for me is to not think about it so he helps yeah. me keep that as not a focus um but he's also he's just really good at um drawing out or or drawing my attention to the highlights and and pointing uh, out what i'm doing well and perfect. all those kinds of things so he's he's really good at manipulating my focus in a positive mm -hmm. way um and you did remind me what what my train of thought was what and was i was it? going to say that my coach always says that your brain follows your body. So mm -hmm. I've always, when I've been, when I'm too tired to do a workout or when I break down in tears in an interval set and I'm like, I'm not good enough or why am I not <laughs> tough enough to do this? And Dan will say, well, Haley, it's Oh, I was going to ask if it was enough. Dan, your yeah, coach. Yeah, it is Dan. So <laughs> he's like, it's not that you're not tough enough. You're the toughest person I know. If you can't do it, it's because you're too tired. And if you're too tired, it's because we're either training too much you're not recovering well. And if you're not recovering well, that's probably because you're not fueled well enough. And sleeping and that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and for yeah. me, the biggest piece is always the fuel. So right. the first, the first thing is um, in making, in getting back to a place right now where I'm on a positive trend has just been increasing my carbohydrate intake. So mm. um, do you yeah. ever track your own food? Did you ever get no. into that? No, because well, that, that I, can become obsessive as well. Oh, it's a huge <laughs> obsessive risk for me. So yeah. like I don't, I maybe, first of all, I maybe weigh myself like three times a year. Like I don't oh. ever know what I was going to I thought you were going to say three times a day. I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. God, no. <laughs> like I three times a year. Behavior. For, yeah. for anyone who's restrictive in this way, that is a huge, it's a huge thing. It's a risk. Yeah. So I don't do it. I know that, um, I'm probably in the ballpark most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't really impact me, so I just don't do it. Um, yeah. 
and then in terms of food tracking, that's another like obsessive risk for me. So mm-hmm. the only time I've ever done it is with the dietitian that I've been working with for like eight years right. now. And I don't yeah. actually um, track it. I just take a picture of my meal and I right. send it to her and it would only be for like two days at a time. She'd be like, okay, we just, this happens maybe once every two years, we do a check-in to make sure I'm still fueling adequately. And wow. Every two years, like really infrequently. And only when there's like a, only when there's like an issue happening, Mm -hmm. um, or when I'm worried that there might be an issue happening. Right. So yeah, that's the, that's the most food tracking I've ever done is sent like pictures of six meals to my dietitian and she'll kind of like analyze it and tell me, Hey, need to eat more or yeah, (laughs) this is good. That's kind of really far apart. Don't you it, find? It's, it's really far apart. Yeah. Like the, the intervals of tracking or. Yeah. Well, I, and if we're looking, I mean, this is something that I've had to become very good Person. at from a young age. Like when I was right. 13, I had to, I had to get my fueling under control or I was not going to be allowed out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been very aware of it for a very long time. And the answer for me is to draw less attention to it. So the only, the only oh, okay. time so, I've ever done yeah. food tracking is to make sure that I'm like, for example, I did it the first time we did it. I think I was not getting a cycle and we were like, okay, let's figure out what's happening. Right. Um, and it turned out that it was mo- likely stress because we did a whole bunch of tests and my energy mm-hmm. balance was, was good. Um, yeah. And then yeah. most recently I've done, I was, doing it last year um while we were trying to we were taking the year of olympic listness yeah. to try to see <laughs> the experiment basically and at yeah. first at first my restrictive and obsessive training habits last year were because i directed my anxious energy and motivation into that i was like well this is an opportunity to get way better so let's just practice everything and so we did some food tracking last year and to see if that's a piece of the puzzle that I needed to work on. Mm-hmm. And the answer was, no, this makes her spiral. So. Right. Okay. Um, I know. We- I can see that. I was just surprised that every two years is like a check-in. I thought like every six oh, months or something yeah, like that. I, mean, I don't, I don't, I, I just threw out every two years. It, it's probably an exaggeration just to illustrate oh, okay. that it's very, very infrequent and right. I've hardly ever done it. Yeah. Do you add supplementation in with your, like the supplement um, outside of whole foods? No, I take vitamin D and that's it. Oh, okay. Wow. You can, I do believe you can get everything you need in a, like a balanced diet. I I have a, um, I have a recovery mix that I'll return to if, for example, I'm at a world cup venue and they can't, get back to the house after training quickly enough and I'll have recovery, right. but that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I've, you know, I talked to a lot of athletes and they, in order to get more calories in or more, you know, food on the fly, they've, you know, gone to supplementation, you know, just, um, you know, pre-made shake meals and or protein shakes you know just to get extra protein in for recovery so i was just wondering if that was part of your eating regime they they made that was one of the things they made me do in the hospital was i had to have these like 
personal oh. brand insurers every day. Ugh. And I, <laughs> things are the I worst. Again, I don't so. even know how, like, they're lucky yeah. that they were the first thing on the market, boost and insure, because they're still in the hospitals and they're like the worst product ever. Toxic. Yeah. Anyways. So I, anyways, I, yeah, I don't do supplements. I also just yeah. because you can't guarantee that they're safe. Like, well, that's, yeah, I, and I get that because I assure you're drug tested every once in a while. Yes. To make frequently. sure. And Everything also, I don't want to like. Even if I weren't being tested, I don't want to risk it. Like, I don't want mm-hmm. to put substances in my body that I don't know I'm putting in my body. So yeah, yeah. No, I can see that as a high level athlete. There is that big risk. Mm-hmm. Now, moving forward, you're all excited. I sorry, I took you off the tangent of being all yeah, excited yeah. about Tokyo. Sorry, now we get yeah. like we're all excited about Tokyo. You've got a big goal ahead. Mm-hmm. And how you feeling about that? I feel. <laughs> I feel much better than I felt in a long time. I feel very balanced. Um, I know that the Olympics are not what will define me as an athlete. And mm-hmm. it's, I think because I relapsed last year and I hit that real low with um, like my mental health, it just re, re-reminded me that I do this because I love it. And I do this because I stand to have an impact on other young kids or you know, young adults dealing with similar things. And I'm very fired up about that part oh, of my think, mission. Right. Um, so I'm super excited for Tokyo because it will be like the a most amazing life experience. But at the same time, I'm like, well, yeah, I also have World Cup goals and World Championships goals. And I have like social impact goals. And Oh, let's goals. talk about those. Well, I mean, prime, you, you kind of listed them at the beginning there is that like my mission is to oh, okay. use sport to improve our mm-hmm. societal conversations and literacy around these issues and to help give kids the tools they need so that they don't end up in the hospital on bed rest, locked out of their bathroom for two months um, <laughs> so that it doesn't get to that point for kids. So that's kind of my mission in cycling and, and what I hope to use this influence for. Um, but also, I mean, also last year, that low just taught me that I actually do like to ride my bike just to ride it. Like I, I love mm-hmm. it. And so that's getting me really excited right now and um, just super fired up on what I get to do every day. Um, so yeah, I have big goals for Tokyo. I, I mean, there's no guarantee yet that I'll be there, but I'm very hopeful and I'm very optimistic about it. And um, yeah, and just, I'm excited for everything that's to come right now. And that's, that's because I'm fueled well enough. I have the room <laughs> and the capacity and the space to, to hold You're- those happy Happy your mood is good you're yeah yeah oh that all it all plays a big role so now do you have a plan is this your first olympics it will be yeah oh see i'm like no wonder you're totally fired up yeah (laughs) geez you'd be like Catherine. ah well i've been to four and like you know go through like they're fired up they go to their second one they're like i know what this is all about i'm too cool for this and then (laughs) <laughs> Probably when you hit your third Olympics, you're like, no, this is amazing. This only happens a few times. So yeah. I hope so I do you have a plan? Time. So you got your plan going, your training, you're on track, like 2021 is going to be awesome. And I'm so glad because like, we all need to embrace that, mm-hmm. that mood and that positivity around this year compared to last year. Um, do you have like a plan for afterwards? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, like is I said, that the like Olympics, your whole social, like, um, 
going to teach, talk at schools? I, well, yeah, like the sport, sport is just one piece of who I am. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that. And the Olympics are only one small piece of who I'll be. So that's not going to define me or define my whole career. I, I'll, I'll keep racing for, you know, hopefully like another decade, maybe. <laughs> um, I think I'll always be a cyclist, I'll always be an outdoor activity person. Um, but I, I plan on going back to school uh, oh, eventually. Okay. I don't know exactly for what yet, but I would love to work the like in the sport and mental health space so we'll see where that mm. takes me but um yeah I have I, I have a university degree so I'll, I'll just build on that I think and um yeah build on I am doing a lot of public speaking right now and mentorship stuff with other other kids so build on that and tie it into who knows what yet but oh, awesome so people can book you for public speaking yes uh, it's a little more challenging right now, given that we're all socially distanced. But I've done. But do you have do you have a link for that or a website or uh, we'll, have, we'll website. have to add that? Yeah, so I have a website. It's just haleyhuntersmith.com. Um, okay. And there's a contact form on there. Haley Hunter. Yes, that's my middle name. There are a lot of Haley Smiths in the world, so that's <laughs> I, I use my middle name for professional purposes, so that. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So I'll add that. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of schools can zoom you in to classes mm -hmm. these days. Yeah. And I think it's a super important, um, super important topic that you're, you're, you know, you're talking about. And um, I'm going to pass your name on to a couple teachers here in Ottawa. Thank I don't you. know what they're up to. Like, I know that they're just dealing with, you know, open school, closed school, open yeah. school. You know, so, um, but this might be something that could be definitely be added, you know, mm -hmm. especially now, like with kids being at home and, you know, it's, I think it's important for parents to be super vigilant on their kids, uh, especially now since everybody's at home and locked in rooms and things like that. But uh, so, well, with that, I, this has been great. Um I had no idea what to expect, like, you know, but your story is awesome. And I'm, and I'm not going to say glad you started in high school, but like being at a, a teenager when it started is, um, I think you have such a powerful story to bring forward and, Thank you. um, yeah. And good luck Thanks. at <laughs> it. Tokyo. Gosh. I know some athletes here in Ottawa who were selected and then, you know, it was all canceled. And yeah. uh, so, but hey, here's a question. So since you're on the Canadian team, do you guide, like, does all the Canadian cyclists ever get together, like, it together um, and meet each other, like, BMX, yeah. mountain bike, track, road, like, does, or is everybody kind of like just sort of? We're pretty siloed into our different disciplines. Um, oh, okay. But we do, like, I was a member of the Athletes Council for the last two years, so I had mm -hmm. the opportunity to meet more of the other disciplines. But yeah, we're pretty, it's, it's such a, a huge sport with so many different disciplines that we don't right. ever really like all get together. But we do have, in regular times, we would have mountain bike camps and 
and there would be road camps and track camps and sometimes there'd be opportunity to cross over but very rarely oh okay oh that's yeah. kind of unfortunate it is yeah <laughs> but i mean that's part of the byproduct of living in a country that's you know huge yeah six thousand kilometers wide like right, i guess so not really <laughs> for us. i guess like all the mountain bikers are either in quebec at st anne's and like bank victoria yeah, very spread out yeah and then tracks all in like montreal no toronto mm -hmm. and uh burnaby but yeah. yeah i was always wondering that like does everybody anybody ever like you know just meet together Pretty rarely yeah but silo i like that get, word the more friends you get in in uh, different disciplines and you have the opportunity to ride with them so. right mm. cool all right well we'll bring it to a close thank you again haley this has been exceptional i can't wait to get this out to our listeners and i just want to thank you as a guest and i want to thank all of our listeners for taking in this episode and uh, don't forget to put on the notifications and subscribe to the podcast as well as to my YouTube channel so you can see us live um, and, uh, you know, just interact on that pers uh, personal stage. And don't forget to put, give us a nice little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or I iTunes, however you look at it, um, and as well as a review. And if you happen to know any buddy who's in the cycling space who's doing extraordinary things uh please send them to me i would love to have them on the podcast and with that we'll see you on another episode thank you see ya see ya Thank you again. And before you take off, I have a couple quick announcements, cycling related, of course. So I have my online bike maintenance webinar, though you'll learn how to change your tires, repair broken chains, adjust your brakes, and learn how to use all the tools that are in your bike bag that you should be carrying with you. Go to bmcwebinar.com. The next one is my four hour cycling skills intensive course. Now, this is where you're gonna get all the cycling skills you need to take your experience to the next level, whether it's on the road or online. You're gonna learn proper bike pedal form that's gonna help you with your efficiency. You're gonna learn how to climb hills, all the skills, tips and tricks, and speed and power. Not to mention, we're gonna finish off with nutrition that ties everything together. So go to cyclingskillspro.com and you can find all those information on my courses, webinars, and downloads there. Take care and have an amazing day. And remember, you're only one pedal stroke away from cycling like a pro. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast. Learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.